0: So, Matthew 7, 8 to 11. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if he asks his son, asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Well, good morning, um, Jeremy. I'm um, a lead pastor here at City Light. Great to have you with us, whether you are a regular member at City Light or you're just joining us for this week. And um, what a great kid spot today. Quite happy to be able to sit in on one for one week. Uh, it's, it is ironic, though, that this week our kids, because kids are doing all their learning online and that sort of thing, they had to do an online safety unit. And they said, an unsafe person on the internet will ask you for personal information and details. So we'll, well play to all the kids who didn't contribute, knowing that potentially this was an unsafe person requesting information. But um, happy Father's Day uh, to the dads out there. And thanks for joining us as we, um, as we get into God's Word today. Now this, we did a uh, title this morning, Good News for Dads. Uh, But this isn't just a talk for Dad. So if this is a morning that you do find a bit challenging or difficult, I just want to encourage you that the the word this morning is good news for everyone. And I I don't think it's an understatement to say that at the moment we could all use some good news. And the blessing of God's word, and particularly the Gospel of Matthew that we're going through, is that essentially what Jesus comes to give is good news. And it is the case as well that if you are at the moment feeling somewhat bad or overwhelmed the one thing you really need more than good advice is good news and the reason we titled it for dads is because it is father's day so it's it's dads in particular I think you need good news at the moment but it also struck me over the week that oftentimes dads just feel bad and need some good news I was never more struck by this than recently when we were at a park and uh, and something happened at the, at the local skate park, I've, I've become the designated dad. And if you're wondering why that's necessary or important, let me just explain to you a little bit about how skate parks work. Basically, it's like a, a bumper car ride, but without the soft cushioning and the seat belts. To give, you, to give you a visual impression of what it looks like, imagine playing air hockey, but with about a million pucks, all just pinging around at pace. That's what, that's what a skate park will look like when you just look out at it. But the big problem is that what you have is two, two basic elements. You have sort of men in their young 20s who are trying to get a trick, but they're also trying to break a land speed record. And then at the same time, you have kids on scooters who move a lot like a, like a Roomba, one of those you know, AI vacuums that just kind of move slowly but randomly around. And so what happens is inevitably one of these young guys will crash into one of the kids and send them into the future somewhere. And then what happens is always exactly the same every time. This young guy in his 20s just stands there just perishing with guilt about what's happened. But he's also terrified of touching children. So he'll just, to give you an impression, this is what he'll do every time. He'll just stand there just going... And like looking around for parents having no idea what to do. And of course that is when the designated dad steps in. That's when it's my role to breach the gap as a skater and a dad between skaters and parents and to take care of business. And so last week, one of these things had happened. It wasn't a collision with a skater. The kid had just sort of munted himself on the side of the skate park, and the parents were nowhere to be seen. So I ran over, picked up his scooter, and helped him up. And when he stood up, as he was doing that, I kind of looked around for the parents. Eventually, you make eye contact with someone who's mortified, and they sort of run over. But this time, the dad dad came over, and when he got to his kid, he could see that he he had an egg on his head that looked like he was growing another head, and he, at that point, obviously was like very worried about his kids. Suddenly was in a bit of a panic. And, um, and it kind of came across to me as like as being angry with me. And I thought for a second, well, maybe, maybe he thinks I'm the one who kind of totaled his kid or something. So I said, oh, look, I didn't see what happened, but I think he just ran into the, the side bit over here. And at that point, he was like, all right, mate, all right, mate. And like he was kind of giving me the signals to sort of move on. And so I took my cues and got out of there. But I think on on reflection right after it, what had happened was I don't think he thought that I was the one who ran into his kid. When I looked over at him, he was on his phone. And when he looked up and then got to his kid and saw that his kid had actually done a bit of a mischief to himself, I think he just felt so bad. And my presence actually being there as another parent made him almost feel worse about it. The fact that I was there when his kid stacked himself rather than him. And so it came out as sort of being mad at me. And I think it's a reasonably reliable principle that oftentimes, and it's not just for dads, but we're on Father's Day, but when dads feel bad, they get mad. I and mean, then didn't mean it to rhyme necessarily quite like that, but I think it is the case that when dads feel bad, they'll tend to get mad about it. And dads have a lot of things they feel bad about. They feel bad about working too much, but at the same time not earning enough. They feel bad about not spending enough time with their kids or forgetting key dates or birthdays or friends or whatever it is about not being present enough with their families or their wives. There are many reasons that dads feel bad. And when you feel bad, the last thing you want is just advice on how to do better. What you need in that moment is good news. And the blessing of looking through what Jesus teaches in Matthew is that we see that it's good news for everyone, and in particular for dads. It's good news. Jesus came essentially to bring good news, not just good advice about how to do better. And so what we're going to do is a little bit different this week. We're actually going to go through a bunch of things that Jesus teaches about what it means to have God as your Heavenly Father and then why it is that that's good news for everyone right at the end. So that's how we're going to do this morning. And so I'm looking forward to opening up Matthew's Gospel together as we track through what Jesus teaches about having God as our Heavenly Father. But I'm going to pray for us now that in our lounge rooms as we sit under God's Word, that he'd be moving our hearts and minds to understand the good news of Jesus clearly. So let's pray this morning. Father, we just pray that wherever we're at this morning, that you would still our hearts and minds, that we wouldn't be distracted from hearing your word, but that we would come to your word wanting to hear from you, our Heavenly Father, and that it would move us to live lives of love and to glorify Jesus. I pray for those tuning in who don't know you at this moment, that you would demonstrate your love this morning in a way that profoundly overwhelms hearts. And Father, we pray that as we open your word, we'd see your love, your goodness, and most of all, your forgiveness in Jesus, and all for the sake of your holy name. Amen. One of the things that you'll pick up pretty quickly if you open the Gospel of Matthew, which is the account of Jesus' life, his teaching, his ministry, and then finally his death and resurrection, is that you get, you get an understanding that Jesus was a teacher that people wanted to hear from. But you also get the impression, and the right impression, that Jesus tended to say some things that were pretty controversial. And in this passage, the first one that we're going to look at here is no different. Jesus says something here, That not only upsets people, but it is designed and calibrated specifically to upset people. In fact, a particular group of people. Particularly self-righteous religious leaders who considered themselves to be very holy and upright people. What Jesus says here was calibrated to upset them. Look at what he says in Matthew 23.9. He says, And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Jesus here is on a section of teaching about the religious leaders of their day. And he's teaching a big group of people. And some of the people in there would have been these religious leaders. And quite publicly, he's just said to them, don't call anyone teacher because you only have one teacher and that's God. He says, don't call anyone father because you only have one father, that is God. And what he is saying here is designed to upset these religious leaders who called themselves names like teacher and father. Now, it must have been somewhat stressful to be one of Jesus' disciples, knowing that at any moment he could say something that was going to be incredibly disruptive or even controversial. I, I feel like my parents had a little glimpse of this when I was a kid. On, I remember on one family trip, we went to, I think it was somewhere like Victoria, South. It was all, in my memory, it's all a mix of wherever we actually went. But we, we met some family friends who, I know they weren't, but in my memory, somehow they're kind of Amish. but They, they definitely weren't, but they were just, it was just that I'd never met a family before that were living quite rurally. There was a massive family. They all kind of dressed the same, but it was a very religious kind of setting. And we're all having dinner at this table with all 50 of their kids, and, uh, and I can still see the scene in my mind. And, um, and there was just kind of conversation bubbling about. And to give you some context, the school that I went to, was a very multi-ethnic school, and I was the only boy in my class who, who was born in Australia. And so oftentimes a lot of the banter was that they would, they would use, a lot of my friends would use words that were not appropriate for non-migrant families to use, but I didn't know that because they would just talk to each other and use these terms for each other and themselves and all this kind of stuff. And I dropped one of these terms at the dinner table, and it was like dropping a bomb. The whole thing went silently. I can still remember the host trying to kind of like politely laugh it off or whatever. But I just remember seeing my parents just, they were mortified. They were perishing. Um, Just completely embarrassed by their kid blowing up this setting in this very prim and proper dinner. And all of a sudden I said something that just was like, it just flattened the room. But I reckon following Jesus around would have been like that all the time. He said things that really would have sucked the oxygen out of the room like that. And when he says this here, call no man your father on earth, in the setting that he was in, it would have upset people. There were religious leaders who were respected, who everybody looked up to in the community. And they wanted to be called names like teacher, rabbi, or father. And Jesus here calls them out and says, don't call them this. Don't call them this. It's pious and it's silly. And he says don't call them father because they're just teachers. Don't call these guys teachers. They're just guys. Don't even worry about it. And that was one thing that was particularly shocking. But the other thing that he says here is shocking is he says, not only don't call them father because they're not worthy of it, he says, actually call your father who is in heaven, God, father. And again, that might not sound that controversial to us, but to call God father, to use a term that was so intimate and familiar in that context was outrageous. This was a context where people believed that God was a God who was a sovereign creator. And so you would address him as sovereign Lord or as almighty God, as these grand but kind of distant and respectful terms. The idea that you would call God Father was crazy. And yet Jesus here says, don't call these religious teachers Father. That is so pompous on their part. But also, if you really want to know God, you need to know him as your Father. What a profound thing to say. He says, you have one Father who is in heaven. And this is what's so radical about Jesus' teaching is, one, that you can know God that closely, but two, that God himself sets the model for what dads are supposed to be like. It's not that God looked down on earth and thought, ah, I see you've got a family unit there. That seems like a pretty good idea. That's kind of like how I relate to my people. No, the reason that dads matter Is because God has put it there as a model for demonstrating what he is like. And that's why it hurts when dads aren't who they're supposed to be. When they aren't like God, loving, present, protective, strong and kind at the same time. That's why many men and women, when they come to find faith, find that they gain a dad in God. That's why in Psalm 68 it says that God is a father to the fatherless. When Jesus says, don't call these teachers father because you ultimately have just one father, what he's saying is that if you want to know what a dad should be like, you look to God, our heavenly father. And so throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus builds out this teaching because this is the first element of the good news. The good news is that you, get, you can now know God as your father. And so he builds out through the Gospel of Matthew what it looks like to relate to God as a father. This radical new teaching. And one of the first things that he teaches on it is that God knows you personally like a father should. Look at what he says in Matthew 10, 29 to 31. He says, I'm not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you're of more value than many sparrows. The Christian belief is that God is sovereign over everything. That's why Jesus says here, God is completely in control over all things. Even a sparrow, which in their culture was the smallest of birds and the least significant. You never get a a nation that would identify as their national symbol. You know, I don't know that for sure, but I'm guessing no one has chosen the sparrow as their national emblem. And Jesus says, look, even if one of those little sparrows falls to the ground, God is even sovereign over that. But it's not just that God is broadly sovereign over everything. He said he's sovereign over all things and yet still knows you personally. And so he says here God even knows the very hairs on your head. He knows you better than you actually know yourself. He knows you that intimately and closely. He is as one as one theologian says, sovereignly intimate or intimately sovereign. So God who built the universe so big that we don't know where it ends and yet at the same time knows what cereal you prefer. This is the vision of what it means that God would be a father. It's kind of like this. An author and illustrator called Snezana Sush, I think I'm saying her name correctly, put out a book called Dad by My Side. And here's a sample of the images that are kind of in the book. They're They're all pretty much the same. They're images of a dad who looks big enough to snap a tree trunk over his knee, but most of them are of him with his little daughter braiding her hair, or you know, playing tea sets, or doing all these small and kind of delicate things. And the reason why her kind of cartoonish vision of dad's is kind of so compelling is that you look at this comparison of incredible strength and incredible vulnerability, and you see this dad being gentle towards the child. And like, that's what it's supposed to be like. In fact, that's the vision that Jesus gives us of dad as our heavenly father's ultimately... And incomparably powerful, and yet gentle, knows his kids and knows them well and loves them. He's not a giant impersonal force. He knows you personally. And so that's the first part of the good news that Jesus brings: you can know your heavenly Father and that He knows you personally. But the second thing is that God actually cares about your needs, and He gives His kids what they need. Look at what it says in Matthew seven eight to eleven that Jacob read out to us just before. It says for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be open or well, which one of you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him now in one sense what Jesus teaches here is not that extraordinary He just gives a a pretty obvious example. He says, if your kid asks for bread, you don't give them a stone. If your kid asks for something that they need, like a fish, like something to live off, you don't give them a serpent. But then he expands it out and says, but actually, it's so much more so with God. He says, if, if you guys who kind of do this parenting thing imperfectly can get it right, well, how much more your heavenly Father? How much more will he give you what you need? And then he knows you need. He's not the kind of dad in heaven who, when you ask a genuine need and say that I'm hungry, he says, well, nice to meet you, hungry. I'm your father, right? He's not like that. He's a God who actually provides for his kids. But the flip side of it is also true. That he's the kind of dad who, if his kids ask for a serpent, he won't give it to them. He's a dad who won't give us things that we ask for that we don't need, because he will give us what we do need. He's a good father who provides what we need. And that's what you need from parents, isn't it? It's not good and loving of parents to just give kids the things that they want immediately and say and think they need. There's a, there's a series of kind of parent memes out there that are along the theme of, how would you put it, it's, uh, You know, silly reasons my kid's throwing a tantrum. Now, the sad aspect of these things is that mid-tantrum, the parents have had the presence of mind to take a photo of their child rather than cuddle them, but we can get into that at another time. Let's just, let's just keep it you know light for now. But a lot of them are things like this. They'll have a little caption. So it's got a photo of a kid throwing a tantrum. and They'll have a caption explaining why. And it'll be ones like, uh, I wouldn't let her drink the chemicals under the sink, so she threw a tantrum. Or uh, I wouldn't let him lick the inside of the garbage bin, so he threw a tantrum. Right? These are the crazy reasons that toddlers will throw tantrums. Because, of course, as a good parent, you're not going to let them do something that's actually going to damage them. You give them what they need. If they ask for something good, you're not going to give them something bad. But if they ask for something bad, you're not going to let them have it. Jesus is teaching here that this is what our Heavenly Father is like. He gives good things and He doesn't give bad things even if we want them. There will be times that we ask for things that actually aren't for our good and yet God in His wisdom and His love will not give it. And yet at other times will give us exactly what it is that we need. Our Heavenly Father is wise and godly. He's a God who gives, who loves his kids and gives them what they need. And it's funny, it shows us that God really shows us that a good dad isn't always a cool dad. In high school, you probably had the experience at one point or another where you were in the family where you weren't allowed to do certain things and you had a friend whose parents would let them do absolutely anything you want. And during high school, you kind of think that would be amazing. But as you get older, you start to realize that parents that aren't able to set boundaries for their kids are not actually being loving towards them. The parents who give their kids absolutely everything that they ask for are not doing it out of love, but out of an insecurity to to be liked or to be their their kids' friends, which is not right for a parent. You want to be their friend, but also their parent. But also because sometimes it can just be out of laziness. It's really hard to say no to your kids sometimes. It's really hard to do the right thing, and sometimes it's easier just to give in. But here in this passage, we see that God is a God who is good and who provides. When we ask for genuine things, He is a Father who provides it. He is not distant or unwilling to provide. And at the same time, when we ask for wrong things, He is not going to give them to us, but to give us what we need. God is a God who provides. And that's the second thing that Jesus teaches us about what it's like to have God as your heavenly Father. You can pray to Him and know that He loves you and is for you and for your good. But the third thing we see is that God forgives His kids. When Jesus teaches his people to pray, he tells them to start by addressing God as your heavenly father. Again, a radical way of addressing God, particularly in that culture. But look at how he teaches his people to pray. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 9-12, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts. He says, ask God for forgiveness because God is ready and willing to forgive. He says, he is like a forgiving father who loves his wayward kids, whose kids have turned away from him, who have walked away from him, and yet he is ready and willing to love and forgive and welcome us back. That's what he is like as a father. But oftentimes, people find this very hard to believe that if there is a God, that he's actually like this. In the movie, there's a a movie from well over a decade ago now, Blood Diamond, and it's about diamonds mined in war zones and then sold to finance conflicts and thereby kind of profits warlords and the like. Um, But the, the movie really focuses in on particularly one character called Danny Archer, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and he's a war veteran kind of turned mercenary who's got caught up in this blood diamond trade. And so the story kind of tracks along with him and his story. And somewhere nearing the conclusion of the movie, he's reflecting on his life of kind of dubious trades and all of this that's been going on. And he says to another character in the movie, he says, I used to wonder, looking at everything we've done, will God ever forgive us? And then he says, but then I realized something. God left this place a long time ago. And that's his reflection. That if there is a God that He's looked down on the mess that's here, looked down on us as, as the people that he's made, as his kids, and he's thought, these guys, these guys are out of control and I'm out of here. I reckon that probably summarizes how many people feel about God. That if there even is a God, they must be certainly far off in the distance and not in any way engaged in what's happening right now. A God who's kind of like a dad who's abandoned his kids and left because it's just too much of a mess to get involved in. But Jesus comes to say, No, your dad is a dad who forgives. Your heavenly father is one who forgives his wayward kids and who loves them. And in fact, the the reason Jesus can say this with such confidence is because he is there to secure that forgiveness by his own blood. Just a few chapters later, Jesus, on the night before he's going to die, is getting his disciples together, trying to teach them the meaning of what's about to happen because they are not ready to lose their friend and particularly not in the way that Jesus dies. And so he's trying to teach them ahead of time what it's going to mean for him to die, why he has to die, and what it will achieve. And in Matthew 26, 27 to 28, he, he picks up a cup of wine. And he says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood, uh, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus tells them that he's not going to die just because he's a, a radical leader who's upset the religious right. No, he's going to teach them, he's teaching them that his death, the meaning of his death is that he will die in our place for our sin. That we all have walked away from our heavenly Father and have sinned. And the penalty of that is death and Jesus is going to take that penalty on the cross to win the forgiveness of many. He says, my blood will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And this is at the heart of the good news of Jesus is that He's not going to give you good advice as to how it is that you can do the right things to get back to God, but to say that if you know Him and trust Him, then His blood has been poured out for your forgiveness so that God can adopt you in as His child, so that you can know God, because God is a forgiving Father who loves His wayward kids. One theologian sums it up in this way. He says, You can sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. At the heart of the good news is that Jesus died so that you could be forgiven and brought back in a relationship with your heavenly father. You might know him as your heavenly father. Because he is good and ready to forgive. To be a father to the fatherless. And so if you are someone who would say you don't know God in this way, can I encourage you just to take a step towards him today? That We are running something every Monday night called Alpha. And if you want to get in touch with us about that, again, just hit that link that Jacob mentioned before. It's there in the comments. It's the easiest way to connect up with us. We'd love for you to join us. And we'll be watching a series of short films that teach about the claims of Jesus and how you can know God as your heavenly father. And now really is the time to do it. Why not? We're in the middle of a lockdown. It's a time to be thinking thoughts about the grand things of life. And the claim is that Jesus says that God is your father who is ready and willing to forgive, that you can know him even today. And so I'd encourage you, if you don't know him, to take a step toward him today. But if you are a follower of Jesus is how Jesus teaches about God as your father the way that you understand him. See, oftentimes I reckon we can fall into into two kind of disparate errors in relating to God. One is that he's kind of a distant dad. And two is that he's like a do-better dad. The distant dad is the one who either you don't really contact them at all, or you only do when you're kind of in trouble or you need money. And sometimes even followers of Jesus who know God as their father can fall into this pattern of relating to God. You kind of only reach out or get in contact when there's a crisis on. Like God doesn't really care about the regular details of your life, but it's only when things get really bad that you kind of break in case of emergency and get in touch with God. And that's one error that we can fall into. But That's not the vision of God as Father that Jesus paints in the Gospel of Matthew. The second one kind of goes the other way. It's the sort of the do better dad. The idea that dad is kind of like always standing akimbo, And kind of somewhat cross with his kids. And so if you ever were to come to him in prayer or to read his word, all you're going to get is condemnation. Or, you know, more advice about what you should be doing better. The God is standing up there in heaven just waiting to dispense kind of frowns and disapproving looks and condescending advice. But the vision that Jesus gives us of God is that he is a God who loves, who forgives, who provides, who knows his kids personally who is present, who is intimately sovereign. And so if you're falling, if you find yourself kind of falling into either of these two errors, I reckon it's only the case that that happens when we're not in God's Word regularly. That we start to build a vision of Dad that is of God as Father that is not biblical. And so this is my encouragement to you. If that's where you feel like you're drifting towards and over lockdown that's going more and more that way, that to kind of break the circuit to get into God's Word this week, And you might have seen posted up on the group that we have some Hebrews readings starting tomorrow. And if you want to get in on that, and if you just need to jumpstart just getting into God's Word and meeting with your Heavenly Father day after day, and for seeing Him as He is, as He reveals Himself in Scripture, then to kick it off tomorrow. And again, the way to do that is to sign up for it online. You can jump in on the group. But this week, if you really want to kickstart, we're even organizing that you can get a text each day as just a little reminder to get into God's Word. Because the truth is that the good news of the gospel is that you can know God as your heavenly father. And what a shame it would be to spend all of lockdown missing out on the depth and gravity of that reality. So if that's you, do something about it today, get amongst it, and we would love to help you with that. But to finish us off here, I did say that this would be good news for dads. And so I want to make the final application of what Jesus teaches, just specifically for for dads here. And I reckon if you understand the truth of the gospel, that you are forgiven by a forgiving father, then it has three implications for you as dad. As a dad, forgiven dads forgive. If you've been forgiven and you know the forgiveness of God, then it will teach you to be the kind of dad who forgives. The best way to not become a do-better dad is to have known and experienced the forgiveness and love of God toward you in Jesus. Years ago, I watched a documentary called Trophy Dad. No, Trophy Trophy Kids. Trophy Dads would be about I don't know dads who are kind of eye candy. I'd like to think of myself as a trophy dad, uh, but Trophy Kids was the actual documentary. And the you, you, I mean, before I even say anything about it, you can kind of get the vibe of what this was about. It was about dads who were trying to live out their hopes and dreams through their kids, and it was it was so hard to watch. These dads who just, even though their kids were prodigious talents, would just be on them constantly, nagging them, telling them to do better and better and better, pulling up every failure and revisiting it over and over again. Dads who were the opposite of a forgiving dad. And it's easy to default to that mode because kids, they they need growing up. It's so easy to see their faults. But if you see the forgiveness of God clearly to you in Jesus, you'll be a dad who forgives because you have been forgiven. You won't be a dad who's like, I've got it all together, now you get it all together. You'll be a dad who's like, I've experienced the forgiveness of God and it changed my life. So I want to demonstrate just in a small way what that's like by being forgiving towards my kids. So you can forgive over and over and over and teach them the grace of their God. Live out the good news and have your kids experience it too. That's the first one. Forgiven dads forgive. The second one is that forgiven dads say sorry. Being a forgiven dad means that the start of your relationship with your heavenly father was saying, I'm sorry, I need forgiveness. And that's a great starting point for as a dad because we're going to need to say sorry often. Even right here in this room just a few weeks ago, I had to ask one of my kids for forgiveness. And I may need to ask your forgiveness after this anecdote as well, but we'll see what happens. But we we had one of the mats out that's an air mat, which sounds really, really soft. It's an air mat. It's full of air, right? And the kids were kind of jumping onto this sort of piece of uh, apparatus that's like a big soft sort of cushion. And the kids were kind of jumping and they were getting me to push it further and further out. And they were jumping further and further. Now with with one of them, when it was particularly a long way out, I thought it would be, what did I think it would be? Interesting, funny, something to push it out just as he was jumping to almost land on it. And I thought, no harm done because he's going to land on an air track that's very soft. And so he's leapt out and as he's just about to do it, I push it away and he, he lands on the mat and it's a whole lot firmer than I thought it would be. And the first words he says is, Daddy, no. <laughs> and then said it again and again, No, no, Daddy, no, right? And I just, at that moment, my heart just sank. I felt so bad. And so I took him aside, I gave him a cuddle and I sat him down and I said, Buddy, do, do you forgive me? And it was clearly too soon because he just couldn't say anything. And so a few hours later, we're kind of walking home and we're going past the traffic lights. And I thought I'd give it another crack. I said, buddy, I'm so sorry about before. I, I, that was so silly of daddy to do that. I'm sorry, do you forgive me? And it still wasn't the right time. But just before bed, I gave it one more crack and he said, dad, I'll forgive you. And it was a beautiful moment to, to actually say sorry and experience forgiveness from my kids as well. But to model that dads don't always get it right. And that's, that is a lighter example. I didn't mean for that to cause harm. But there'll be times when, as parents, we sin. And we need to say, I'm not, I'm not someone who's got it all together myself. I'm just a forgiven sinner. And there'll be times as parents where we need to model saying sorry as well. Forgiven dads say sorry. But the last one is that forgiven dads can change and grow. See, as you look through what it means that God is Father, it can be almost overwhelming because you're like, I'm I'm never going to be a dad like that. But if we're ever going to be more and more like our Heavenly Father, it's by knowing His forgiveness and love and being transformed by it that day by day we'll become more and more like our Heavenly Father who loves perfectly and appoint our kids towards a Heavenly Father who is perfect and who never disappoints. Forgiven dads forgive, forgiven dads say sorry, and forgiven dads can change and grow. Being a forgiven dad is better than being a perfect dad. And the blessing of it all is that we get to point them to their perfect heavenly father in God. So let's praise God for who he is to us now in the good news of Jesus. Father, we just, we praise you so much that you love us, that even in our sin, you did not abandon us to sin, but you sent Christ to die as a sacrifice for our sin, to bring us back in a relationship with you, that we might know you as our Heavenly Father, that we might be adopted in by grace, that we might have our lives transformed, that we might not be too proud to say sorry, knowing that our relationship with you began with a sorry and ended with your forgiveness and restoration. And so we pray that we would model this. And Father, I pray for anyone out there who is feeling the, the difficulty of the distance between them and their earthly father, that you would be a father to the fatherless, that you would be the one who breaches the gap by your grace and forgiveness. And Father, we pray that you would strengthen us during this time in lockdown to draw near to you as our heavenly father, to be in your word, to know you as, you're tr- as you truly are and to worship you rightly. And so Father, as we turn even now to worship in song, we pray that we would have in mind a right understanding and right doctrine of who you are. A heavenly Father who loves, who forgives, who provides, who knows his kids, and who loves us with an everlasting love. And Father, we pray that we'd remember this all our days. For the glory of your name. Amen.